What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. 105 million views. That is the average number of views every NBA basketball game receives on national television. Did you know the NBA is not just one of the most popular sports in America, but it's one of the most popular sports in all the world. And it goes down as one of the greatest sports in all of history. Who would have thought that in small, humble beginnings in Springfield, Massachusetts in 1891, the NBA would grow to become one of the largest enterprises in all of history and a multi-billion dollar business. That said... Throughout all of the years since the 1890s until present day, if you could choose your dream team of five all-star players, who would you make up your NBA dream team? Now, I want you to know that a lot of thought has gone on in my decision-making in this process. But at point guard, I would nominate Magic Johnson. It was a toss-up between Jason Kidd and Steph Curry, but I'm going with Magic Johnson. At shooting guard, there was really no debate Michael Jordan. Small forward, Kobe Bryant. Power forward, LeBron James. And center, it was a toss-up between Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Shaquille O'Neal. And I'm going with Shaq. That's my NBA All-Star Dream Team. Crucify me if you disagree, but I stand by my statement today. Today, of course, I didn't come here and you didn't come here to to learn about my opinion about the dream team in the NBA. But I want you to understand this, that as we come to Revelation chapter 12, there is a dream team mentioned in this text. And today I want to label the title of my sermon with these words, the dream team of the apocalypse. The dream team of the apocalypse. Today, as we come to Revelation chapter 12, there's five characters that are mentioned. Not NBA basketball players, but there's five characters, and four of them are good, and one of them is bad. Now, for the most part, when we read Scripture, we want to interpret it literally. But there are times when when the Bible is clear that it should be interpreted allegorically or symbolically. In Revelation chapter 12, it is obvious that these characters are not to be interpreted literally, but they are representatives of another character. And so today, I want you to understand this, that as I was reading one commentator, I liked how they summarized all of Revelation chapter 12, and I want to read you what they said. They said this, in Revelation 12, John describes the beginning of a theatrical presentation he saw in the sky and on the earth. The protagonist is the sun-clothed woman, which represents God's people. The antagonist is a dragon, which represents the devil. The hero is the woman's child, which represents the Messiah. Other players move on and off this stage, all showing that throughout the ages, the devil has been in combat against Christ and his people. As we come to Revelation chapter 12, I begin to think to myself, what is one thought that we could glean and walk away from this text and apply to our lives today? One central statement that I want to give to you 
that if you walk away with anything, this is what I want you to leave with. Satan cannot stop the sovereign plan of God. Satan cannot stop the sovereign plan of God. I find it interesting that that it has been the plans of Satan ever since he was thrown and kicked out of his lofty position in glory to go against, to destroy, to detour, to decapitate, and to annihilate the plans of God. But today I submit to you, to no, no matter what he, he attempts, no matter the trials he tries to throw, no matter the tribulations, no, no matter the temptations, no matter what he throws against the work of God, he cannot stop God's plan. So today I want to share with you, this is going to be a little bit different than normal, but we're going to walk through this passage, ask five questions, and I want to answer these five questions. But, but the first major question is, who are the five key players in the apocalypse of Revelation chapter 12? Well, I'm glad you asked because there's five of them. Number one is the woman. Number two is the dragon. Number one is the child. Number four is Michael. And number five is the remnant. Those are the five key players in Revelation chapter 12. And I want to try to answer and address these five pivotal key players. These are, in a sense, the dream team of the apocalypse. Verses one and two, I want to focus on this question. Who is the woman? Who is the woman? A, a clear reading of this passage, you might get confused if, if you try, if you, in, basically, the way you interpret who the woman is will affect the rest of this chapter and affect the rest of your understanding of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it mentions this woman. Who is this woman? Well, you can either interpret it two ways. Number one, you can interpret this view as the church. However, if you interpret it, this woman as the church, you're going to have major problems because the Bible says this woman will give birth to this man-child who will ultimately be the Messiah. And we know the church never gave birth to the Messiah, but in fact, the Messiah actually gave birth to the church. And so the only way to understand who this woman is is to view this woman as Israel. And as we come to verse 1 and 2, here's how I want to answer who is the woman. The woman is Israel who brought mankind deliverance through the Messiah. The woman is Israel who brought mankind deliverance through the Messiah. Look at verses 1. It says, There appeared a great wonder in heaven. Now, I want you to understand this. As we're reading the book of Revelation, we understand chapter 4 all the way to chapter 22 is all future. But when you come to Revelation chapter 12, it's very interesting. Just as you would watch SportsCenter and you would see the highlight reels of some of the, the, the games that transpired that week or the past couple days, here we see that John is seeing a vision into the future with a highlight reel of things in the past. And so here in verses 1 and 2, we literally see the Christmas apocalypse. That is, the Christmas story in the apocalypse, the Christmas story in Revelation chapter 12. But we see this woman who is Israel. The Bible says is clothed with the sun and the moon is under her feet. And then the Bible says that her head had a crown of 12 stars. Does this sound familiar to you? Well, if it does, you would remember one of Joseph's dreams in the book of Genesis. In fact, Genesis chapter 37, and listen to these words in verses 9, 10, 11. The Bible says that Joseph dreamed yet another dream, and he told all of his brothers, and he said this, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars make obeisance to me. 
Verse 10 says, And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And the Bible says in verse 11 that his brothers envied him, and his father observed the saying. We see John as he's seeing this vision. He was reminded of that dream that Joseph had, and he begins to describe this woman who is Israel, and the 12 stars represents the 12 tribes. It's, it's obvious that, that this is Israel, especially in verse number two. We know that the Old Testament prophets spoke about how Israel would bring us deliverance through the Messiah. Micah chapter 5 speaks about how that Messiah would be born in a little town called Bethlehem. Isaiah chapter 7 speaks about how this Messiah will be born of a young woman who is a virgin. The Bible speaks about the Messiah coming, and in verse 12, the Bible says that she being with child. So remember, John is having a vision of the future, and now he's getting a highlight reel of the past of the Christmas story. And it says that she was with child, and she was travailing in birth, and she pained to be delivered. In other words, many of you ladies who have had children, you understand the, the pain that, it, that, that you go through during the delivery of a child. And so here we know that Israel experienced these birth pangs. And the prophets Isaiah, the prophet Jeremiah, the prophet Micah, to name a few, speak about Israel, how she is mentioned in a feminine aspect, and she is a given the connotation and the idea of a woman who is in pain about to give birth to a child. The Bible never gives that description of the church. Sure, the Bible calls the church the bride, but never a woman who is about to give birth. In fact, Warren Wiersbe said, in the Old Testament, Israel is often compared to a woman and even a woman in travail. So who is this woman? The woman is Israel who brought mankind deliverance through the Messiah. Today, I'm thankful that God had his hand on Israel in the past and God will still fulfill those promises that he made to them that have yet to be fulfilled. We'll get to that in a few moments. So character number one, key player number one, is the woman who is Israel. But what about the second character in verses three and four? On the platform or on the, the court of this dream team of the apocalypse, we now see the dragon. A dragon. Who is this dragon? Now, before I answer this, I want you to understand this. No matter Satan's efforts, he cannot stop the plans of God. Satan cannot stop the sovereign plans of God. In verse 3 and 4, the Bible brings to the stage now the dragon. Who is this dragon? It's interesting, throughout Scripture, Satan is described as a dragon. In this chapter, he's described as a dragon and a serpent. And it's interesting, this is one of the few characters that it's very clear and obvious who it is. Because in verse number 9, the Bible says the great dragon, who is also that old serpent, the devil and Satan. So we know that this chapter is meant to be interpreted allegorically as far as these characters are symbolically, and this great red dragon is Satan himself. Notice John, the Bible says that he, 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 another wonder came in heaven. 
And he sees, remember, he's seeing the future, but he's seeing a highlight reel. He sees the woman who's called Israel. And then the Bible says that John is transported back into time and sees the birth. And then he's now looking into the future. And now he sees the great red dragon who is Satan. And the Bible says that this dragon had seven heads and ten horns and and seven crowns on his head. And this is a a reference back to Daniel chapter 7 and that great vision of the apocalypse. And then the Bible says in verse number 4, remember, a highlight reel of the past. It says, his tail drew the third part of the star stars of heaven. What does this mean? Well, I agree with the commentators. This is the only verse in scripture that the Bible says that one third of the angels left in the revolt that Satan or Lucifer had against the throne of God. We don't know exactly how many, but here the Bible says, remember this is a vision looking into the future, and now it's a vision looking into the past, going back to to Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28, where the Bible says that that it's not just those empires on the earth, but it's looking into Satan and Lucifer and how he tried to lead a revolt against God, and the Bible says that God dethroned him from that lofty position that God gave him. Lucifer was a cherub. He was one of God's most prized creatures that he created. He was beautiful and he was talented. Probably the most beautiful being God ever created and probably the most talented being God ever created. And the Bible says that, that I think, or at least as I'm thinking about all these things and what the Bible says, that Lucifer began to be lifted up with pride, thinking, look how great I am. Look how beautiful. Look how talented I am. And he led this revolt. And one third of the angels left. By the way, in the book of Job, the Bible calls stars angels. So there are times in Scripture where the Bible speaks about stars, how they are, the stars in in the galaxies, but also stars called angels. And then the Bible says that, that he did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman. How do I know this is a past event? Because the Bible says that the same being, Satan, is standing before the woman giving birth to the child. So even though this is a future event it has a highlight reel of the past and now we see that this same red dragon who was cast out of heaven or at least cast out of that lofty position he had in heaven he's now standing before the woman who is ready to be delivered and the bible says for to devour her child as soon as it was born and we know that in the gospels the bible speaks about how god how, how god would would raise up this deliverer in matthew chapter 2 and matthew chapter 1 named jesus we call him jesus he's the messiah and the bible says that that satan would fill the heart of herod and there he would lead a charge to kill all the babies of the area because he was trying to annihilate the messiah so who is the dragon The dragon is Satan who opposes God's plans, accuses, and persecutes God's people. The dragon is Satan who opposes God's plans, accuses, and persecutes God's people. We will see in verse number 9, Satan is mentioned again. And then in verses 12 and 13, and in all of this, we see that Satan, first of all, opposes God's sovereign plan. Even though he opposes it, he cannot overthrow it. It will not be stopped. God's plan will take place. But then he accuses the brethren. Right now, the Bible says he is accusing the brethren day and night, and we'll get to that a little later. And then the Bible says he's going to persecute the remaining believers called the remnant down in verse number 17, and we'll get to all that later. In verses 1 and 2, we see the woman is Israel who brought mankind deliverance through the Messiah. In verses 3 and 4, we see the dragon is Satan who opposes God's plans, accuses and persecutes God's people. But now we draw our attention 
to verses 5 and 6. The great hope of this chapter. The child. Who is the child? Hey, Satan cannot stop the sovereign plans of God. Look at verse 5. This one's pretty obvious, too, who it is. In fact, all of them are obvious once you dig in and start studying the text. It says in verse number 5, And she brought forth a man-child. Remember, John's looking into the future, but he's having a highlight reel of the past, and now he's zooming in and focusing to Bethlehem. And he sees Mary lying in a manger. And he sees that little baby Jesus born. And the Bible says that this baby would be the one to rule all nations with a rod of iron. What other baby that's ever been born was destined to rule the nations? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar, even though he tried. It wasn't Nero or Caesar, even though they tried. It wasn't Hitler. It wasn't Stalin. And it wasn't Joe Biden. <laughs> Nobody has been destined to rule the nations, plural, except Jesus Christ. We know the Antichrist is going to rise up and try to do it, but he will fail miserably. And Jesus will come and establish his kingdom, and he will rule just like Saul. Excuse me, Psalm number two says. In fact, I believe that Psalm number two is ultimately being fulfilled here in this chapter where the Bible says that all the nations will gather together against the plans of God. Why? Because Satan is the prince of the power of the air, and he is ruling the world. And God will take charge once again. And God, the Bible says in Psalm 2, is in heaven laughing at the plans and schemes of Satan and the nations of this world. The Bible says, it's interesting here. In fact, the Bible just mentions the beginning and end of the life of Christ, the Messiah. It says that this child was caught up to God and to his throne. This, in fact, is the same exact terminology that Paul uses in Thessalonica. In Thessalonians, when he says that the believers will be caught up together in the clouds. So the Bible says that, that just as Jesus was, was ascended and he was, was taken up and ascended up to his throne in glory, one of these days his church is going to be raptured out of here and we'll get to spend all eternity with God in heaven. And so Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father on the throne. In other words, it's a figure of speech to say that Jesus is God and he's on his throne. And then the Bible says in verse number six that this woman, that is Israel, fled to the wilderness. Now I believe verse six is taking us back to the future. Now the highlight reel has been played. And now John is giving us the vision of the immediate future that he's seeing in the tribulational period. And remember in, in Matthew 24, Jesus spoke about how this how Israel, once they saw the Antichrist come to the scene, they would flee to the mountains. And so we see that this is going on right now. When the Antichrist comes and declares himself to be God in the temple, and demand that all people worship him, Israel, and many will flee to the mountains. And the Bible says that she has a place that has been prepared by God, and they should feed her for 1,203 score days, in other words, for three and a half years. It's interesting here. Some commentators believe that this site is going to be Petra. The Bible doesn't say that. We have no idea exactly where this will be, but we do know it will be in the Middle Eastern area around Israel. And so nonetheless, wherever this place is, whether it's a mountain or a cave in a mountain, God has it prepared, foreordained, and settled, and his sovereign plan is for this to take place. And Satan cannot stop this plan. The man-child, who is the male child, 
Who is this child? The child is Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. Satan, no matter his efforts, cannot stop the sovereign plans of God. It will come to pass. Key player number one is the woman who is Israel. Key player number two, which is a bad character, is the dragon, which is Satan. Key player number three is the child, which is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But number four, we see in verses 7 through 12, another character comes on the scene, and his name is Michael. Actually, the Bible mentions this one by name. And now we're looking into the future. So who is this? Who is Michael? Michael is the archangel who will lead God's angels to victory over Satan in heaven. Michael is the archangel who will lead God's angels to victory over Satan in heaven. Look at verse number seven. Let's walk through these verses. It says there was a war in heaven. This is a future war that's going to take place in a tribulational period in heaven. The Bible says Michael. Now, Michael is mentioned by name in the book of Jude and in the book of Daniel. And the Bible speaks about in the book of Jude how he is the archangel. We know that Jewish tradition has seven archangels, and two of those angels are most likely mentioned in Scripture, Michael and Gabriel. But we know that there's one archangel Scripture mentioned specifically, and that is Michael. And we see that this is who he is. And the Bible says that Michael and his angels, that is these heavenly beings who have not went with Satan's revolt many, 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 many years ago. They are fighting against the dragon or Satan himself as these dra- the dragon, Satan, and the demons are at war right now. So the question is, if Satan fell for heaven, how is he in heaven? How will he be in heaven fighting? How will he be in heaven accusing the brethren? Well, Satan fell from his lofty position in heaven, but we know that Satan still has access to God's throne based on the book of Job, how the Bible says that Job and God had that conversation in Job in chapter 1 and chapter 2. And then here in this chapter, we see that Satan is there in heaven at war, but ultimately will be cast out forever out of heaven here in this scene in the future. And we see that as they were raging war in verse number 8, they could not prevail against Michael and his, his, his mighty angels. And then in verse number 9, the Bible says that this great dragon was thrown out of heaven. This word cast, it literally gives the idea that you would take a baseball and you would throw it as far as you can. And so the Bible says that God literally takes Satan and he throws him out of heaven. This is the one that deceives the world. Deception is not found in Congress although there might be deception there. Deception is, is not found in the public school system, although deception might be there. Deception may not be found in a false church, although deception might be there. Deception's root problem is in Satan himself. And the Bible says that he is thrown into the world along with his demonic angels. And verse number 10 the Bible says that John hears a loud voice. Maybe this is the, the elder speaking. Maybe it's some other being. We don't know. But it says a loud voice in heaven says these words, now come, now has come salvation. That word means deliverance. It means to be rescued. Pray, praise God, we can be rescued from our sins and all of the combats of the enemy. And then strength. He is the all-powerful God. And Not just salvation, not just strength, but also the kingdom of our God. So Satan cannot stop this kingdom that's coming. It's coming, my friends. Are you ready for it? And the power of Christ. Check it out now. It says, for the accuser. This means to cast a complaint about somebody else. 
This means to stand bringing great accusation towards somebody. And he's doing this to the brethren, to believers. And the one that was doing that day and night is no longer doing that in this moment in the future. And by the way, verse number 11 gives us the key to how we can overcome the accusations of the enemy. Listen, Satan is a smart creature. God created him and he fell. And he knows about you and he knows about your life. He knows your weaknesses and he knows your faults. And the only way to overcome those accusations and temptations is through the power of Jesus Christ. To be an overcomer, this is the same word that John used in the churches in Revelation, or really Jesus used. It means to be a victor. It means to have victory over. And so the only way we can have victory over Satan, the Bible says, is through the blood of the Lamb. Now, I know there's a huge shift in the modern church to silence and get rid of the blood of Jesus Christ. But let me just be, let me be clear today. Unless you are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, unless his shed blood washes away your sins, you will not enter into heaven. The Bible says that is the only way. You cannot be cleansed through baptism, through water in a baptistry. You cannot be cleansed through church membership. You can't be cleansed through good works or teaching a Sunday school class or preaching a sermon or marrying a preacher. You can't do it any way. The only way is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is called the lamb. He was the lamb who is pictured every single time they brought a lamb to the altar in the Old Testament because one day the lamb of God would be slain on the cross for your sins and for my sins and so that we could experience forgiveness in him. And then the Bible says not just by the blood, but by the testimony of their word. The word testimony, it literally means to get on the witness stand and bear record of the good news. And so that is, we get on our witness stand and we are combating the accusations of Satan by saying, hey, listen, mine is this. When I was 16 years old at church camp, Jesus Christ, the gospel was, was made so clear to me that I bowed my knee and confessed with my tongue, Jesus is Lord. And in that moment, Jesus rescued me from my sins. And in that moment, Jesus washed me with his blood over my sins. And in that moment, my friends, is the time that I go back and I can overcome the accusations of Satan. The same in your life. And then the Bible says, this is the most interesting and intriguing phrase in all of Revelation chapter 12 to me. It says that they over, it should be that they love not their lives to death. As I read this phrase, I was reminded of what Jesus said. He said, unless you hate your father, unless you hate your mother, unless you hate your brother, unless you hate your sister, unless you hate your own life, you cannot be my disciple. In other words, he says, unless you love me more than everything else in this life, even your own life itself, you can't be my disciple. And then I love the word in verse 12. It says, therefore rejoice. Why are we to rejoice? Because of the work of Christ on the cross and how he gives victory over Satan and his efforts. Rejoice, it means to have a heart that is glad and a heart that is full of cheer and a heart that is merry. It says all heaven can rejoice in all that dwell in them. Understand this, that right now, even though we're on this side of eternity, we are seated in heavenly places based upon our faith in Christ and the work of Christ on the cross. And so just like these saints in heaven, just like these beings in heaven are gonna rejoice, we can rejoice right now through Christ. But 
The Bible says, woe to those who inhabit the earth and woe to those who are in the sea. Because in this moment in the future, Satan is going to come down to the earth and he is going to have great wrath. So check it out now. As these trumpets and these seals and especially these bowls are going to be unleashed to the world, the world is going to experience God's wrath. But in this moment, when Satan is thrown and kicked out of heaven for good, this world will also experience the wrath of Lucifer. And so the world will not just have God's wrath, but also have the enemy's wrath. And so here the Bible says that he has but a short time. He has three, about three and a half years, the Bible says in this context. And we see that he's going to unleash everything he has. But in his efforts, we know that he cannot stop the plans of God. Who is Michael? Michael's the archangel who will lead God's angels to victory over Satan in heaven. Who is the child? The child is Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. Who is the dragon? The dragon is Satan who opposes God's plans, accuses and persecutes God's people. And who is the woman? The woman is Israel who brought mankind deliverance through the Messiah. Satan, my brothers, my sisters, my friends, my comrades in the Lord's army, Satan cannot stop the sovereign plans of God. But now as we draw our attention to verses 13 through 17, in verse 17, the Bible says remnant. Would you say remnant with me? Remnant, say it again. Remnant, one more time, please. Remnant, who is this remnant? So far we've seen the woman, we've seen the dragon, we've seen the child, we've seen Michael, but who's the remnant? Well, the remnant is redeemed Israel who will receive God's protection during the tribulation. The remnant is redeemed Israel who will receive God's protection during the tribulation. Verse 13 says that when the dragon saw he was cast into the earth, the Bible says he persecuted. This means to call someone to suffer. And who is it that he is causing to suffer? The woman. And so we go back to verse 1. Who is the woman? The woman is the one who gave birth to the Messiah. That's not the church. It's Israel. And so we see that in, in the tribulational period is a time for the Jews. Even Satan understands that. And he is going to persecute these Jewish people. And that is why they're going to flee to the mountains and hide. But God's hand of protection, God's hand of provision will be over them. And then the Bible says in verse number 14 that to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle. That she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she will be nourished. That means she will be fully provided for at that time. Speaks about the three and a half years here from the face of the serpent. Remember, Satan is often described as a serpent or a dragon. And he has other few names, and, but we know that this is Satan. He will be unleashing his last efforts. And in verse 15, the Bible says, The serpent casts out of his mouth water. So does this mean that this woman is going to grow wings like eagles and fly to the wilderness? No, all it means is that Israel is going to run and flee to the wilderness. Does this mean in verse number 15 that Satan is going to send water out of his mouth like a flood? Most likely what this simply means, just due to the symbolism in this chapter specifically, that he's going to wreak great havoc on this world like the world has never seen. That he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And then verse 16, the Bible says the earth is going to help. God is going to use everything that he has able to, to bring deliverance and provision and protection to Israel during this time. Listen. Listen. 
If you, I say this respectfully, if you think that God is absolutely finished with the nation of Israel, you have misunderstood Scripture. Let me just briefly explain to you. Why, why are there two, if I could, if I could just say it like this, why are there ultimately two races? I know there's one body of human race, but why does God's word classify the races as either Gentile or Jew? Why, why throughout all of history, why has Satan been so angry, not against Gentile nations, but why has he been so angry against Israel? Well, because he knew and he knows that God's agent of redemption and salvation is going to come through the line and lineage of Israel, the Messiah. We see in Genesis, Satan was at work. In Exodus, Satan was at work enslaving those Jews. Throughout the Old Testament, we see Satan was at work trying to destroy the nation of Israel, but they came. And ultimately, God brought them under captivity of Babylon because of their refusal to worship God and God alone. And then he brings them back, and he allows them to build a temple in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther. And we see that, that ultimately... For 400 years, there would be total silence from God, from heaven to the people on this earth. And then God would raise up a deliverer through Israel, through Mary and Joseph. And then we see that Satan would lead an effort through Herod to try to kill all the babies because he wanted the Messiah dead. And ultimately know that Satan was behind all of that. And then we see that Satan was the driving force for the Jews to try to take Jesus to the cross so that he could exterminate the Messiah once and for all. But we see that Jesus could not be conquered by death. We see that Jesus could not be conquered by crucifixion. Jesus could not be conquered by being placed his corpse into a tomb. Jesus rose from the dead. And we see, even in our modern history, why would people seek to be anti-Semitic? Why would people, in other words, seek to be anti-Jewish? I mean, if God is done with Israel, does it really matter if we dislike them to, to such a degree as hatred? I think that Satan is still attacking the Jewish people because Satan knows that God has made promises to that nation, that little old nation, to the east of the Mediterranean Sea on the shore there. A very small nation. That God's not done with them. And so Satan, even in the efforts of World War II through Adolf Hitler, was trying to kill them by the millions and we see that even in this place, in Revelation, we'll see during the tribulation period, it'll be a great holocaust again. But Satan cannot stop the plans of God. So yes, my friends, I am a dispensationalist. Yes, I believe Revelation chapter 4 to 22 is future. And yes, I believe that God is not finished with Israel. And just as God had his hand upon Israel in the past, God is going to have his hand upon Israel again in the future, just as Paul said in Romans chapter 11, that all of Israel will be saved and the nation of Israel will experience national revival. They will make Christ their Messiah and they will usher in the millennial kingdom. In verse 17, the Bible says that the dragon was wroth with the woman, with Israel. Not with the Gentiles, not even necessarily with the church, as we know of the church. But it says he went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Who is the seed of the woman? Israelites. And it's interesting. These are the redeemed Israelites. Not just national, 
but those who have experienced salvation because they are keeping God's commandments and they have testimony of Jesus Christ. The remnant is redeemed Israel who received God's protection during the tribulation. Michael is the archangel who will lead God's angels to victory over Satan in heaven. The child is Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. The dragon is Satan who opposes God's plans, accuses and persecutes God's people. And the woman is Israel who brought mankind deliverance through the Messiah. My friends, Satan cannot stop the plans of God. Right now we're in the season of Olympics. And we have this question, who is the greatest Olympian of them all? There's really no debate. Michael Phelps is arguably the greatest Olympian of all time just by the amount of medals he has won. He won 28 medals, spanning five years of games, and no other Olympic athlete comes close to the 23 gold medals he won. The only one closest to him is a gymnast from the Soviet Union who won nine medals, gold medals. This 36-year-old man from Baltimore, Maryland, was just built to swim in his genetics. But I want you to know this, that his 23 gold medals pales in comparison to the crown that Jesus wears right now. Because Jesus is the sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords, and this passage reveals to us that he is the hero that will save the day in the future. My friends, he is the dream team of the apocalypse. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.